Hello, everyone. My name is Jesse, and I am one of the pastors out at River Tree Community Church in Baldwin, Missouri. And today, we are going to watch a movie together. You know, we're coming up on Advent, and this year, 2020, as part of our Advent series, we are examining the literary character Ebenezer Scrooge. And specifically, we are looking at the redemption Ebenezer Scrooge goes through in Charles Dickens' work, A Christmas Carol. And as part of that, we are going to be watching a few versions of a Christmas Carol TV series. So tonight, we are going to be watching the Flintstones Christmas Carol version together. Now, I chose this one because it has kind of a, some cool things happening that, that we'll talk about later. But I will let you, so we can get all synced up, I will tell you when I press play, and then I will describe the scenery that's going on for a few minutes. So, are we ready? I am going to press play in three, two, one, play. So Flintstones Christmas Carol's on the screen. Got the candles burning. Exchange to the executive producers, William Hanna, Joseph Barbaria, Buzz Polkman, written by Glenn Leopold. Based on the book A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Because everyone kind of lined up now. Are we at the right are we all are we all synced up here? So my hope with these is to focus on a different aspect of Scrooge with each one of these commentaries. Because they are the same story, you know, told a number of times, it could get potentially stale. So my hope for going around that is to talk about these different aspects of the story. And for this first one, we're going to focus on the idea that Scrooge thinks he's better than everyone else throughout this entire ordeal. You know, the base cause of Scrooge's problems is that his superiority. He thinks he is so much better than everyone else. So we're going to explore a little bit of that and see how this plays out in this particular version of the story. Now, why this one in particular is one of my favorite iterations of it, of A, of a Christmas Carol, is because it it has a meta narrative going on. So the rough outline of it is it's the community of Bedrock. They're putting on a community play theater production of A Christmas Carol. Fred here, seen here, is Scrooge. But what takes it to the next level is that Fred is kind of acting out the Scrooge character both in and out of the play. In the play, he's obviously Scrooge. But outside of the play, he's starting to embody these characteristics of Scrooge. And so you almost have a Christmas Carol happening at two different levels here. So that's, that's I think, an interesting take that this one has as opposed to some of the other versions of A Christmas Carol. So let's pay attention to that as we kind of move forward. Now, this was a TV movie from 1994. And I remember the first time I saw this was off a, you know, bootlegged, recorded you know vhs recorded off tv it had all the canadian tv commercials in it and it, it was awesome so you, you can already kind of start to see fred here morphing into scrooge he's practicing his lines but he's echoing them in an actual conversation in the real world he's answering questions about do you want to pick up your daughter your daughter's crying with lines from the play. 
So the, the the lines for him are starting to get blurred already, and we're what two minutes in. As you can see, she, Pebbles is is already getting tired of her dad's you know constant incessant practicing. So uh, the thing is interesting here. It's like Ebenezer Scrooge. Fred is already starting to embody this idea that nothing that happens is my responsibility. Whatever's going on around me, Wimmel will take care of. This is Dino's fault. This is this. You know, like he's he, nothing is his own responsibility. So he's so absorbed in kind of what's going on in his own particular world, he didn't he's didn't even didn't even hear what's going on around him. He's not even hearing his wife talk to him. Ah, uh, so you can see right there, you know, all he's thought about for the past two months. Starting to overtake him, starting to overwhelm him. He's starting to kind of lose himself into the role. And he's, it's unclear where Fred Flintstone ends and Ebenezer Scrooge begins. You might say he's, you know, take, taken method acting to a whole new level here. He's fully embodying his character. And this probably isn't a great character that you want to embody. So this is, a, I think, a really important note here, is he's starting to view himself heightened, elevated above everyone else, because of one in particular aspect, in this case, because he's the star or the main person of this play. In the case of Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge sees himself as separate or better than everyone else around him because of his status, because of his wealth. He's creating false dichotomies. He's creating false levels where he, he defines himself as better than everyone else based on one particular aspect. And so we can see Fred is doing that same thing here. So that line there, I would have made a better Scrooge, is actually a reference to in apparently the original draft or version of this, Mr. Slate here 
was supposed to be Scrooge, which makes sense. You know, he's kind of the, the grumpy boss and such, and that, that role seemed to fit. But apparently they realized they didn't have anything for Fred to do. He was just kind of pushed to the side. Like, oh, he's kind of the main character. So they, they moved him into the Scrooge role, which I think, as we'll see, works out very, very well. That's a good kind of nink and wink and a nod to the uh, original script there. I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that change. Craggit from Cratchit. Just reinforcing the uh, all of the rock jokes that are going on in the Flintstones. That's interesting there. Even, even once again, Fred is worried about making Barney making him look bad by missing his cue. Not, you know, the show suffering in some way. It might make him look bad. So just kind of reinforcing that idea that he's thinking himself above, that he's the primary person, the only person he's thinking about. So we just saw there the, uh, the brontosaurus get sick with the bedrock bug. Now, this will be a key plot thread kind of weaving through this idea of the bedrock bug coming in, getting people sick. So keep an eye out on that. We'll, well, and we'll touch on that toward the end, but it's, it's out there coming to get people. Oh, so we start to see here he was so absorbed in himself in the play that he has forgotten presents. He is, it's Christmas Eve, and he has nothing, no presents for Wilma or Pebbles. You see, just there breaking up that uh, those lines even further. He's he's a Scrooge out in public now. Jurassic Pork. 
I'm curious. Has has anyone ever done like mall gift wrapping? Like I've it, I've seen it in a number of holiday specials and such. It, it's something I've never seen. So I'm curious. Has anyone out there seen? It? If you have, let me know. Like put put down in the comments here if you if this is something you've seen or something you've used. What what's what's your experience with it? It's something I have just no idea about. I have no idea what it is. Okay, this this is something that I think is an interesting thing to point out here. There's a little bit of kind of a spoiler for something that happens later. But this kid here that he just talked to, dropped his stuff off with, is in the play. We'll see him later. He's a character in the play. Meaning, in theory, Fred has rehearsed with him, should know who he is, should recognize him, but seems to not know him at all. So he's reinforcing that idea that Fred doesn't care about anyone other than himself. He's completely ignoring everyone around him, separating himself out, not even recognizing the other people physically around him in this play. So you see, Fred expecting people to treat him differently. Expecting because of his station that different rules apply to him. And you see, these are a lot of things that are reflected in the uh, Ebenezer Scrooge character. What is he missing? I don't see pebbles around. Nothing like coming rolling in at the last second here for Fred. <laughs> That's right, he didn't go get pebbles from Cave Care. Now this is an interesting reflection of the, the, the story in A Christmas Carol when we are in the past and the Ghost of Christmas Past is showing Scrooge former memories. And one of them is that he has a conversation with his former flame his former i think fiance they're they're even engaged his his former lover bell and we see the relationship grow and we see it kind of him start to become more and more disconnected from it 
until ultimately it comes to an end and Bell tells him that a new idol has replaced me. And Fred is reflecting that here. Fred is reflecting that the thing that is important to him is no longer his family. He's even said, for the past two months, this part is all I've thought about. So he's just getting at this idea that he's disconnecting. He's pulling further and further away from the things that are supposed to be important to him. And I think that use, you know, that term, a new idol has replaced me, you know, was a great choice of words by Dickens because it's getting at that biblical notion. It's, I mean, and this book is very much steeped in biblical allegory, biblical metaphors, biblical characters. They, they're kind of woven all throughout the novel. And so it, it, it's that choice of words was very, very intentional. It's to invoke this idea of the divine, to invoke this idea that, you know, in this case, Fred, but Ebenezer Scrooge is completely turning his back on God in a way trying to create his own God. In Ebenezer Scrooge's case, it's money. He's trying to ascend to the heights of goddom or divinity via his own prowess. And ultimately, it cost him. I love that opening for the book, in this case, the play, that Marbley was dead. You have to start with the idea of death. That out of death comes Scrooge's chance for new life. Is it really getting at that idea of the redemption, the redemptive power of Christ? That it's only because of Christ's death and subsequent resurrection. But it starts with the death. You know, Christ must be dead. That point must be definitively understood. Or nothing wonderful can come after that. And so it's, it's in this case, it's Marbley is kind of acting as that role. Marbley was, was dead. That out of this death will come a new life for Scrooge. But he has to kind of follow. He has to reach out. He has to go after this gift. And I think it's an interesting parallel between this story and kind of Christmas as a whole. The, this, this idea, Christmas is a time where we sit, reflect, and think about the redemptive power, the redemptive gift of Christ. I guess just Dickens' word choice throughout this entire book is so precise and so meaningful. Yeah, if you notice here, they have to change nephew Ned, in this case, name. Because obviously in the book, this is nephew Fred. So that'd be way too confusing to have nephew Fred be playing opposite Fred Flintstone playing Scrooge. So his name is changed to Ned, which is something I completely did not pick up on for the longest time. But this is Fred in the book, nephew Ned here.
So you can see Scrooge bases everything off of wealth. That is the lens through which he views everything. Because through that lens, he views himself as better than everyone else because he has more wealth. So he's choosing to look at the world through a lens that allows him to be the best. That allows him to come out on top. That's the only way he wants to view things because he knows through that lens, from his eyes, he's winning at everything. I think that's an important note there. The notes, uh, we not want nothing from you. And that's something Scrooge can't quite wrap his head around. Because he can't think like that. Why, why would you just do something for nothing? Because in that, that way he views the world we talked about, that doesn't equate through, through his lens of viewing everything via wealth, via status, you would not ask nothing of someone you wouldn't do something expecting nothing in return that would throw off the balance of his viewpoint <laughs> that might be one of my favorite lines in this in this this iteration of it addressing mr scrooge will be no pleasure So I think there's one thing that I, I, I've always thought was funny about this version of A Christmas Carol. It's supposed to be set, you know, prehistoric times, right? The Flintstones set, you know, dinosaurs, all that. How, how do they have a Christmas Carol? What, how, are, how are they doing this? Where's, where's it coming from? And this, one of my favorite kind of answers to that that has always made me laugh is that the Flintstones and the Jetsons are happening... They're the, happening at the same time. They're both set in the future. And that the Jetsons are what's happening kind of up in the clouds. And the Flintstones are what's happening down on the Earth. That, you know, something happened on the Earth. Some cataclysmic event. And those, the rich, those that could afford, went up and became the Jetsons. And those that could not stayed down and are now kind of reverting back. And so now are the Flintstones. Which I think that is just absolutely hilarious. And it makes me laugh every time I see this episode. <laughs> so you see, there's the kid from the shop. 
Scrooge does not recognize him. That that is the kid that he gave his shopping to to have wrapped. So what I want to know is, was Scrooge planning on shoveling his own path? Because I can't, I, I, I can't see Scrooge shoveling his own driveway, right? It's like, does he set it up almost every, every time it snows so he can work it so he has some poor kid shovel his driveway? I kind of feel like he does. <laughs> So I think moving Mr. Slate over to play Marbly works out well because it's, you know, Marbly was Scrooge before Scrooge. And there seems to be every indication that he was a bigger Scrooge than Scrooge was. So shifting him over to that role, I think, works really, really well. How do you think a community theater pulled that special effect off? <laughs> What was in that gruel that it caused the fire to burst up like that? <laughs> what are you eating, Scrooge? So this entire scene here is kind of a mirror image of a scene we see in the biblical text. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And both of them die. 
and the rich man is kind of being tortured in Hades. And Lazarus ascends up and is in, in heaven with Abraham. And the rich man can see Lazarus. And so wants Lazarus to go to his family, go to his father and brothers, and warn them. And in the parable, it doesn't happen. Abraham says that, you know, the brothers and the father, they have, you know, Moses and the prophets and all, and all of these other people to listen to. So if they want to believe, if they want to listen, they will already. And there's no point in sending Lazarus to the rich man's family. And I think that this is just an interesting kind of knowing that story. And this is a cool way to see about it. Well, what, what would have happened if Lazarus had been allowed or had been sent to the rich man's family to warn them? What would that look like? And this is kind of Dickens' version of what this might have looked like. <laughs> so we can see the other ghosts kind of out there wandering wishing they could help kind of floating through the ether of the afterlife there it's always been a powerful image for me of just the notion that there's this idea of spirits or this even even this idea of someone wanting to help and they can't they can hear, they can see, but they can't interact. They can't assist. You see, Fred has is still in that Scrooge mindset, hasn't? We we haven't seen the the redemption of Fred yet thus far, if you want to think about it like that. Now the bedrock bug strikes again. People going down left and right here. So this guy here, the the narrator of the play, uh, is a character named Mr. Brickens, which is a nod to Charles Dickens. And something I just found out, which I think is absolutely hilarious, 
is that th this character, the narrator there, is voiced by John Reese davies which you may know as Gimli from Lord of the Rings, or he played Sala in the Indiana Jones movies. You know, Asp, very dangerous indie. You know, th that guy. And that just makes me laugh that I did not know he was in this in this show at all. And that makes me happy. So one thing that I've always thought was really funny about A Christmas Carol is the ghost of Christmas past, right? Takes Ebenezer Scrooge to Christmas Eve and Christmas's past. His past. How many of these massively important events in his life happened on Christmas and Christmas Eve? How like how how convenient is that for from a storytelling standpoint that, you know, some of these events she points him to are these huge monumental milestone events in his life and they all just happen to happen on Christmas Eve and Christmases. We'll have to suspend our disbelief for a while on that, but it's that, that always just makes me laugh. So, starting to get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here of Scrooge. Now, as the curtain goes down, there you go, that's good timing for that. But we're starting to kind of get this idea that adult Scrooge has created this dichotomy, has created this false separation between himself and everyone else through a lens of which he can see himself as the best. And we can see a little bit that maybe this started, he started to, to develop this here being alone here when he felt like he was the lowest because everyone else was going away with their family, everyone else was moving, everyone else was going on and on, and he was there alone. So we can see a little bit of where, where he starts to develop this, I need to come up with a way to make myself important. Now, this is in no way excusing it, absolutely not, but you can start to see at least the the pieces the the through line coming together for at least how he ended up there definitely made wrong mistakes and turns along the way and you know for us for christian we would we would point to well when you do feel those times and alone when you do feel abandoned and such you aren't because you have christ with you because god will never leave you will never abandon you scrooge makes a different turn and decides if I'm alone, I need to change the rules to make it so I am the best. Um, and in the the book, in his sitting room, the room where he meets Marley, up on the kind of rafters of it, they describe a ton of biblical scenes playing out. And Scrooge is actively turning his back on them, kind of reinforcing this idea that Ebenezer Scrooge is actively turning away from God, actively moving away from there and trying to Again, that idol uh, theme, trying to bring up something in himself to replace that idol, 
to be that idol for him, turning away from God. This ultimately leads him to the miserly person he is as an adult. Starting to see more and more pain in Scrooge's past. It's an interesting emotional gambit Scrooge goes on here. And it's interesting how you see this playing out for other people. Um... Scrooge, the like, for the person he maybe loved the most in the world was his sister. When his sister dies, he kind of turns his back on everything that reminds him of his sister because it's too painful, including his nephew, in this case Ned. And I, that is such a fascinating dynamic. How at oftentimes when we get hurt, our instinct is to push everything away that reminds us of that hurt. When in reality, embracing Ned embracing his nephew could help heal that could help kind of move forward with the grieving process and he could move to a healthy place but he's just ignoring it he's pushing it away kind of letting it fester inside of him and so he never gets to develop that sense of peace he's just constantly wandering trying to create his own artificial peace So this is maybe the first time Scrooge is getting at the notion that there are things in life that are more important than gold. The happiness he gives cannot be measured in gold. The book goes on to talk about he had the ability to make our work burdensome or to make it light. So not it wasn't gold. It wasn't money. That was why Fezzi, why he remembers Fezziwig so fondly. It was his personality. It was his gentleness. It was how he acted as a boss, as a mentor of what Scrooge remem- re- remembers. So it's the first kind of, you know, crack in the armor we see of, you know, miserly Ebenezer Scrooge. How strong is Wilma there? <laughs> Look at that. Wilma must be lifting the weights all the time.
as I'm reflecting back here, Ebenezer hasn't become that jaded person we know he becomes in the future. So he's kind of at full promise right here. So in some ways you might say this is when he is at his most alive, when he is living life to the most right now. He's living in the pure moment, as opposed to here. A golden idol has replaced me. <laughs> That's even uh, more explicit uh, references to the golden calf, the golden idol. So we're getting even you know more digging deeper and deeper into this biblical allegory of what is at the center. What do you worship? It should be God. But what what is it for Scrooge? What is it for you? What is it for us? What are these idols that are getting in the way? And a, another aspect of Scrooge here in this moment is not living in the moment. Bell talks about you're always continuing to plan. You're talking about the future because they never actually got married. They got engaged and Scrooge kept saying, well, I need to get more money. I, someday we'll be ready. Someday we'll be ready. Someday, someday. And ultimately that someday never comes. And Bell gets tired of living in someday, someday. She's always looking toward the future, never in the moment. And that ends up being one of the things that cost Scrooge. So even in the midst of you know, realizing he might have he might be in trouble, realizing he might have hurt the feelings of others, he can't quite turn the corner to do it. He still has to take a moment to see how he looks and kiss himself in the mirror. So he's not not quite there yet. Once again, kind of reflecting that meta narrative that's going on. Fred is reflecting where Scrooge is at Scrooge's point in this journey. They're both maybe starting to realize something, but not, not enough to fully understand it, fully embrace it. They're still not willing to let go of what their idol is. Scrooge's case, gold. Scrooge's case, power. Fred's case, it's like fame. It's the ability to feel superior. Scrooge is going to, so he's going to break into a department store to try to get his wrapped presents.
that kid must have stolen my presents. He he had a scene with him in the play just moments ago. Remember? That's that's the kid he makes shovel his driveway. And he still doesn't remember. He still doesn't connect the dots. So he's still so self-absorbed. He's not thinking about people in the outside world. I come the dresses behind him. He doesn't. <laughs> I feel like the animators just ran out of uh, dress design, so they had to throw that same one in the background. I feel like this ghost, the uh, Ghost of Christmas Presents, always, always been my favorite. Because it's, they talk about the notion of living in the moment. And I think no one else epitomizes this more than the Ghost of Christmas Present. Because looking at the book, this is a character that lives for one day. In the book, the character, the Ghost of Christmas Present, dies at the end of Christmas. So all this joy, all this love, all this kind of feelings of happiness that dwell up in him, they're around for one day. He is just purely in the moment. And I think that's something that is so important for us to think about, especially around Christmas. Because I know myself, personally, I feel like I spend so much time kind of prepping for Christmas, prepping for this idea, trying to make it so perfect that you almost forget to experience it while it's happening. Because you almost get overwhelmed by the prep up, by the prep work, by running around doing this, doing that, that Christmas is over and you realize, oh, I, I didn't experience it. I was too busy planning for it, prepping for it, that I, it completely passed me by. So for me, I, I like looking at the ghost of Christmas present in moments like that. Just notice, focus, be happy, be in the moment with your family and with your friends in this season of Christmas. That's another very key important aspect of 
the notion of a Christmas Carol. That is something that Charles Dickens was very much kind of pushed and rallied against. The idea that things done in the name of Christmas, things done in the name of Christ, things done in the name of the church are all too often not done for Christmas, for the church, for Christ. They're done for the pride and benefit of individual people. So they try to mask it as where this is being done for good. So you should sacrifice for it. I think it's just such a fascinating and really kind of sad state of things that so much, like the things that were listed, pride, bigotry, evil, can be perpetrated, but then try to be attributed to something good, being tried to be attributed to the name of the church, the name of Christ, the name of Christians, and all they do is end up hurting. I think that is just... You know, something that Dickens talked about is still very relevant, if not even more relevant today. There's kind of a subtext in this book that really just gets a fleeting line or two, but is such a key and important theme continuing up to today. So reading through the kind of context here, remember the kind of double meta narrative going on. She's really talking to Fred specifically. Those aren't lines really she's talking about in a play. She's very much directing it at Fred, our Scrooge figure in this story. You can see Scrooge is starting to live in the moment. He's starting to open up a little bit. And 
not be so closed off only thinking about the future, only thinking about ways to elevate himself. Starting to see the benefit of living in a moment, remembering back to a time when he did live in individual moments, back when he was happy. The ghost of Christmas yet to come has a tail right now, apparently. <laughs> well, maybe we'll find out why in a little bit. Apparently, Mr. Marley's alive again now. Mr. Slate's playing him here. <laughs> So you have Scrooge here, Fred here, you know, someone who was always worried about setting himself up, always worried about the future, always worried if I do this and this and this, I'll be respected, I'll be set up well. And he's starting to realize here that all of that kind of forward planning, all of that trying to separate himself isn't doing any good, ultimately won't do any good. It'll ultimately his efforts to separate and make himself better than everyone else to elevate himself. Don't do anything. Ultimately, you know, inside, I would argue he all his efforts to separate to become better are to be. He wants to be respected. He wants to be loved. And just the way he goes about doing it. Is through wealth. He chooses that as his means because he feels like that's something he can do. So if I get enough of this, if I get enough wealth, he feels he'll be loved. He feels he'll be worthy to be loved. And he's starting to realize here, maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's other ways to be loved.
Though Scrooge here knows whose name is behind that tuft of grass, even before he goes over. He knows. And I think that's a important aspect here. Past, present, and future will all live within him. And I think this is really getting at that idea of living in the moment, balancing living in the moment, which is something he completely turned away from and moved completely to living in the future, living for what's to come. But you can't just purely live in the moment, obviously. You can't completely ignore what's to come. You'll, you, know, <laughs> you have to plan somewhat. So it's about finding this balance he talks about. The ghost of letting your past, not completely letting your past dictate where you are, where you're going to go. That's something else that we'll talk about later. But it's about a balance of your past. Living in the moment and letting the moment move forward into the future. It's that it's balanced. It's living in all three. <laughs> Kid has to think Fred's gone crazy, right? <laughs> So I think one of the important aspects of A Christmas Carol that often gets overlooked is when we think of Scrooge, we think of Scrooge at the beginning of A Christmas Carol. But I think what is equally as important is Scrooge here, now, Scrooge at the end of A Christmas Carol. Not because of the person Scrooge is, but because of where he started. We talk about the kind of redemptive power of Christ. And so if someone who was as miserly, as bad, and just as terrible of a person as Scrooge could become Scrooge here at the end, could become this person, then anyone can. It's the idea that no matter what we've done, we can still be redeemed. The power of Christ will always redeem us, can always redeem us. And so I, th I think that's something that often gets overlooked with A Christmas Carol is Scrooge's journey 
is meant to be reflective of the power of Christ. Just how Christ can take anyone and move them toward redemption. How it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You can move forward and take steps and move down the path toward redemption, as we see Scrooge doing here. I do like how this kind of crash at being late opens up this opportunity that we know what past Scrooge would have done. Would have docked his pay, potentially fired him, done all this. But to have it just gives a perfect opportunity to show the reflection of the new Scrooge, of the redeemed Scrooge. So I like the uh, the setup we have here. You know, this is your big close of the play. The everyone's coming together, really happy. It's a happy ending for everyone. You know, it's kind of slowly building up to this. You're having, oh, crack it in Scrooge. It's, Scrooge has learned his lesson. It's all coming together. But remember, there's two... Christmas carols going on. There's the Christmas carol of Scrooge and the Christmas carol of Fred. Scrooge is coming to a close here. The story is coming to a close here. You see, you know, the happiness coming together. We're, we're getting like the full cast happy ending shot. You know, but... There's still the second one to come. There's still one unresolved story going on. The story of Fred. The redemption of Fred Flintstone in this moment. And the redemption of Fred hasn't happened yet we're getting this 
Nope, nope, Fred is still hasn't made amends with these people, with the, his family, his friends, the, the ones he has wronged yet, like Scrooge has done in the play. Now we have our conclusion, both the play version of Fred, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, and the real version, Fred Flintstone himself, have kind of come to this realization. They've both been redeemed here. So we're getting a happy ending for everyone here. And again, just like with the Cratchit being late, this is a moment here where you, Fred, you could see him, old Fred would get upset by that. He's getting outshone, outstaged. But he makes that turn to let you know, oh, he actually has been redeemed in this moment. He actually is moving forward. And we get our last. That's why the Ghost of Christmas future has a tail, because it's Dino. So the Bedrock Bug's coming in here. And one thing I think is interesting about the Bedrock Bug is, it is it, it's acting as this kind of great equalizer. One of the main themes of this kind of version of Scrooge is Scrooge separating himself. That's one of the things we've been talking a lot about, is Scrooge artificially trying to make himself better than everyone else, at least in his mind. And this, this notion is, in fact, artificial. Because in the eyes of God, we are all children of God. We are all carry that Imago Dei equally, that image of God. So I like how the Bedrock Bug in this play, or in this version, acts as that undertone throughout the entire story. It's that undercurrent of, it comes after everyone equally. It brings, everyone is the same in its eyes. Well, it's maybe weird to think about it in that aspect as kind of a negative thing, a disease, but I think it, it's the same idea. That notion that God views us all this, we're all the same in God's eyes. We're all viewed as children of God. We're all viewed as creations of God, loving, lo created in love equally. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter what we do, what we do here, what we do here. We can't buy God's love. It's the same for all of us. And the final kind of act in this play version that, that highlights you can't artificially separate yourself is Fred gets sick kind of acts as that final note reminding us everyone is even in God's eyes. You can't do anything to artificially elevate your standing in God's eyes. I think that that's a fun twist on that notion that they, and they use this idea of an illness to undercurrent that notion. So thank you very much for listening to this first commentary in our, in our Advent series. And until next time, I have been Jesse, and I hope to see or hear from you in this commentary. Like, put, please put your comments down below. 
uh, other things you noticed, other ideas that popped up for you while you watch this. And I will hopefully talk to you during our next commentary. Have a wonderful evening or morning. I don't know when you're listening to this. I'm assuming evening because I listen to movies in the evening, but there's that. All right. Have a great time. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye.